Welcome to the Candid Faith Podcast. I am your host, Shelby York. Here is where we share God's word and speak truth over relatable, real, and relevant topics for the everyday Christian woman. Today, I am talking with Katie Maddox. Katie is an entrepreneur, speaker, writer, and warrior. After overcoming the adversity of sexual trauma, her mission is to teach women how to find purpose in their pain and turn their trauma into triumph. Through learning and understanding their role as daughters of the Most High King, her hope is that women will become aware of and take hold of the spiritual authority they walk in. I do want to put a disclaimer on this episode. In this discussion, we talk about sensitive topics like sexual assault that could be triggering to some women. If you don't feel like you are in the right headspace to listen to this episode, I encourage you to save it and come back when you're ready. Before we dive in, I wanted to mention that I have partnered with Buzzsprout for this episode. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I highly suggest working with Buzzsprout. They've made it so easy to start up the podcast of my dreams and they can help you too. Go to the show notes and click on the Buzzsprout link. You'll be able to set up your own free podcast platform in a matter of minutes. Okay, guys, here is my conversation with Katie. Welcome Katie to Candid Faith. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. I am so excited to dive into this topic today. Um, It's not something I know a lot about personally, so I'm really excited to learn from you today. Um, Let's start with you. Tell us who you are, what you do, and something interesting about you. I love that question. Uh, (laughs) My name is Katie Maddox. I'm originally from West Bloomfield, Michigan, but currently reside in sunny Miami, Florida. Um, I've lived all over the world. That's probably my interesting fact. I love to travel and I love to move. Uh, the last place I lived before here was in Kwantung, Vietnam, and before that mm-hmm. in Seoul, South Korea. Um, I currently own an accounting company called Millennial Accounting that turns five years old this year. And mm-hmm. I studied fashion merchandising, so I've kind of been all over the board. Mm-hmm. And then I also started my speaking ministry about two years ago. Um, And I've been doing podcasts and women's conferences ever since I speak to women on how to find purpose in their pain and turn their trauma into triumph. I love that. Was that your interesting fact? Um, I feel like that I've lived all over the world was my interesting fact, but I mean, it could go either way. (laughs) That was a good one. What caused you to um, pick up and move so often? I don't know. Honestly, I just, I love to travel. My mom took me overseas for the first time when I was 14. And up until I was 14, she said, when you get into high school, I'm going to take you to Europe. And so that was kind of always a thing. When I moved out of my parents' house, um, my mom and I were going through my childhood things. And I had written a book when I was seven that said, I'm going to grow up and become, um, uh, I'm going to buy clothes for a living and I'm going to travel the world. And I wrote that when I was seven years old. And so I went back um, 20 years later and I read that book and I had checked off almost everything in the book I'd done it. And it was just so wild. So I don't know. I feel like a seed yeah. was planted when I was little and I've just yeah. been running with it. You've just been like a goal getter from the get-go. Like day one, <laughs> yeah. day one, you've been, you hit the ground running. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So how did you get started helping women turn their pain into triumph? I love your mission statement. I've been all over your Instagram and your websites <laughs> and just looking at what you do. And I love it. Um, where did this passion stem from? I mean, it totally stemmed out of pain. I mean, turning pain into purpose was a a phrase 
that I got in a dream, ironically. And then the next mm-hmm. week, um, my pastor preached a sermon called Turning Pain into Purpose. And I said, God, is that weird? You know, am I copying him? But because he didn't give that idea to me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I heard the Lord say, no, actually, that's your confirmation because mm-hmm. I've been kind of questioning it. And, um, but originally it stemmed out of just pain. I had uh, been raped in 2013 mm-hmm. and I really didn't process any of it until about 2018, 2019. I started kind of dealing with it and thinking about it. And honestly, that's only because it started really affecting my life the first few yeah. years you know, I kind of turned into coping mechanisms, but didn't register that that was the root of it. And so it really started to play out in 2018 when I was dating and not able to date, I should say, um, a lot of triggers. Yeah. I went on a mission trip to Peru in 2019. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly on that trip. And um, he said, Katie, I want you to tell these little girls your story. I was working with young girls in the public schools. He said, I want you to tell them your story. And I'm, I'm going, what story? And he said about the rape. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't talk about that. This, this is not yeah. up for conversation. This is not right. something that I talk about. Most people in my life never knew. Um, and so through a series of telling different groups of small, of young girls throughout the week, about halfway through the week, the Lord said, okay, I want you to tell your story on stage because we had the opportunity at every school to get on stage and um, somebody would share a testimony. And I, it never occurred to me that that would be me. I just let somebody on my team who had a really cool testimony. They told their story. I lived the dances. I was fine with that. You know <laughs> what I mean? And um, one day he said, I want you to tell your story on stage. And so before ever telling my friends or my family or anyone in my life back home, I got on stage and said it in front of a thousand teenagers. Mm. And I got home from that trip just completely changed. And the Lord said, this is what I want for you. I want you to speak about my redemption story. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, thank you for sharing that with us, first of all. And I love how you're, I mean, you're right. Like literal pain through or triumph through pain where God can turn, you know, our really messy situations. And you didn't even know where that was going to take you. Like you were just really stepping out in obedience with like, which is like high five, amen, preach to you. Like, that's amazing. Um, That's so admirable because I know I'm, I know for a fact that if I had heard God tell me to get up on a stage and like be raw and emotional, I would have been like, see ya. I would have just ran like, or I would have just like covered my ears and be like, can't hear you. (laughs) It's not happening. Like, Exactly. Like I would have thought of any excuse in the book to, to not do that thing. Um, so I really commend you for being so obedient because that is so hard for us sometimes. And again, that's such a great Testament to the fact that he is so faithful and he cares so much about the condition of our hearts and our healing. Mm -hmm. So I love that, that, I mean, you recognize that at a very, very early time in your healing journey before you probably even knew that you were launched into your healing journey um, and this new ministry of yours. So that's really wonderful. Um, So among the women that you've worked with, what's what's a common theme um, between their pain and their faith? Um, Do they do they often think that God is punishing them or um, maybe God just can't help them? I think this is kind of coming from a personal place where, um, I think some of us 
because of things that have happened to us on earth, we correlate that to God's goodness or we use it to judge his goodness, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think there's two things. I think from just speaking at events, people have always kind of contacted me after and said, you know, Katie, I have a story similar to yours, or I've been through something and I also didn't tell it. And I think, especially in the church, you know, we think, oh, these things don't really go on in the church. And I think that that door has kind of opened, not even now, like a couple of years ago, even through the Me Too movement, mm. I think people really started talking about it. But it was like, oh, well, if we're in the church, you know, we don't really talk about those things. And so it's better, you know, we're Christians, so we should be strong in our faith. Yeah. So we shouldn't look back and be in sitting in our trauma. You know what I mean? We're not helpless victims. We're Christians. We're strong and we have God on our side. So we can just push through whatever hard thing comes our way. And I think that's a, that's an incorrect way to think because if, at least for me personally, thinking like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm strong. I'm a strong woman, strong, independent woman. You know, I've got God on my side. I can just power through anything. And the Lord's like, but that's not what I want for you. Mm. What I want for you is healing and wholeness and and pushing and powering through is not how you find healing and wholeness. That's just how, you know, you can put a smile on your face and go and do all these things. Yeah. But that doesn't heal your heart. What I want for you, I feel like the Lord says, what I want for you is, is full inner healing. And if you're not willing to, to look and to process and to go through that pain with him, he like wants to go through it with us, Mm -hmm. you know, but when we block it out and suppress it, we're not just walling off other people. We're actually walling it off to him. And one thing that the Lord told me recently was, um, I've been, even now, you know, years after that, dealing with another layer of trauma. And, and he showed me something the other day, somebody said something that just triggered me and I started sobbing and for hours. And I said, Lord, why am I crying? I don't understand why that he said, um, he said, men, the person that was speaking said, um, it was a woman speaking to a man. And she said, you're, you're really safe. She said, you're a safe place. She said that to him. And these are people that I knew well. And so I just started crying and I'm like, Lord, what the heck? (laughs) Why am I crying? Why is that upsetting to me? And through a series of days, literally processing and trying to kind of unravel. And I was like, Lord, if something's bothering me, I need you to show me what it is. And he said, Katie, you had that pain so walled off. You had built a fortress around it. And I'm not going to come in with a hammer and go knocking down your fortress. I am going to knock on the door. And when you open it and invite me in, then I'll bring the flashlight in and show you where the darkness is, you know? So I think it's the goodness and it's the kindness of God who wants to walk through our pain with us, as opposed to us being like, oh, I can't tell anybody this, or I can't deal with it because I'm a strong person and I shouldn't have to. I don't even know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think I talked about this with other people a couple of times on the show about that idea that Christians are perfect and we're happy. But I think we forget that redemption and forgiveness is it's not a one-time deal. When we give our hearts to Christ, we're not just suddenly perfect and our sins, I mean, they're washed away and they're washed in the water of the word, but we still have a lot of life to live and a lot of experience to have, um, experiences to have, and a lot of mistakes to make. 
Um, and so I think that idea really comes from the fact that there is a stigma around Christians being perfect. And, and I think it's not always a negative. Like, I think it does give this attractiveness to, to this, like, reli- like the stigma around being religious. And I know, you know, there's a lot of negativity about that. Um, and I don't know, I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but, um, the idea, like I said, about being a Christian and being perfect all the time and every, that is what is so toxic to our faith and our healing journeys. And you're right. Like that's never what God wants for us. One, he wants us to show up completely authentic with him and being able to practice that with him. It's like, well, if everybody else is going to reject me or judge me or whatever, like it doesn't matter because I already know that God is in my corner. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? You know, Mm -hmm. like, and there's so many instances like that in scripture. And, um, I really like that you point out that, like I said, that stigma about Christians being so perfect and happy, and there's nothing that ever goes wrong in the church. And there's never corruption in the church or with the church leaders or anything like that. Like that is so that's such a huge misconception. And I think that's how Christians end up learning how to build those fortresses because we're just like, no one's going to listen. No one's going to understand. And even if they listen, they might think I'm lying for attention. Like we know that's a common theme with women, um, or that is a common theme that women get pegged for, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, Okay. I love your blog post. Blessed are those poor in spirit. That was, I read that and it was so good. Um, that is such a powerful verse. And for reference, that's Matthew five, three. Um, can you give us some commentary on what exactly that means to us as women and how we can use that as a way to overcome our trauma? I know when I first read that, I was like, so I'm supposed to be happy, with Jesus or I'm supposed to be like really depressed. I'm confused, <laughs> but it's not as like literal as it sounds. Um, so can you just give us some insight on kind of what that is and what that means? Yeah, honestly, I read, I wrote that blog post so long ago. I don't even remember what I wrote. It was but... really relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, then everyone should go read it. Yes. Um, yes. I feel like blessed are the poor in spirit is just, it's all about humility and vulnerability. And I know hum- vulnerability is like such a buzzword right now that it's almost overused. But I mean, to be poor in spirit really just means like, I'm going to sit at the foot of the cross and be like, I don't know what to do with this. You know what I mean? And rather than just walking through life being like, I know everything, we really just need to sit at the cross and sit at his feet and just pour out, you know, what's in our hearts. Because really being poor in spirit just means that we're not afraid and we're willing to, to show him everything that's in our hearts, so the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he's really not this like judgmental, hateful God. Like I get so upset when people think, you know, they're, they're working with a God, the God of the old Testament, the judgment seat of God. You know what I mean? Because really it's the goodness and the kindness of God. That is um, for me, what has changed my life is understanding his goodness and his kindness Mm-hmm. So just being willing to be like, God, I'm, I'm mad or I'm sad or, you know, how did you let this happen to me? And there's, you know, there's a fine line between accusation and emotion, right? It's one thing to say, how could you let this happen to me and question his goodness? 
And it's different to say, how could you let this happen to me? I don't understand what's happening, but I know that you are good. Mm-hmm. So show me where this is going to go or where, where this story is going to take me, you know? And some people, I feel like they almost blame their sicknesses on God being like, oh, well, God, let me get, get sick to teach me a lesson. No, mm-hmm. first of all, God doesn't cause sickness. God doesn't cause harm ever. Right. And the thing is, God is so good at what he does that sometimes we, we blame him for things that happen. And it's like, he's so good at taking what was meant for evil and turning it for good that sometimes people think that he made the evil just to make a good story out of it. You know what I mean? Like, but if think of, if you had a child, would you ever want your child to be sick in order to teach them a lesson? Like, no, that's, that's not a good parent. A good human parent doesn't do that. Right. So why do we think that God would ever do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So really, it's like he's so good at turning those traumas into triumphs. But we have to be willing to sit at the feet of the cross. And we have to be willing to invite him into that pain. Yeah. Because he can't heal anything that you won't give him. And like I said, he's not going to go beat down your fortress. He's going to wait for you to come to him. The Lord is a gentleman, you know? Yeah. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the past year or so is being able to come to God and say exactly what you said. Like, I'm really upset right now. And I stop my feet and I cross my arms and I slam the doors, but I never stop talking to him. And I think, I mean, I used to do that a lot with different things. Like I went through a really toxic relationship and an even more toxic breakup after that. And that was sort of my, like, that was a huge part of my testimony um, was coming out of that and seeing how God turned such a mess into a beautiful new chapter of my life. And back then it was, it was hard for me to, to say how I felt about, um, my breakup and about my ex and about the condition of my heart and like the emotional state I was in, because if we don't one, if we don't have the support system and if we weren't kind of taught in our families or our friend groups that like being open and raw is okay. We're not going to think that God, the creator of the universe and like the King of Kings wants to hear about our nonsense. Um, but it's not nonsense to him. Um, and then I had also learned definitely in recent months, probably about, cause I used to have that thought too, that God is punishing me. So like it's, it's really, um, sad to say, but we're going through, um, a season of infertility, like struggle with infertility right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of, I, I ran into the issue of being like, okay, I went back in, in my mind in the past and remember that one thing that I did, that was definitely not heavenly. It definitely was not holy of me to do, to say whatever. And I was like, God is definitely punishing me, um, now because of something I did in the past. And I, went weeks believing that until he finally called me to my Bible. Um, and was like, you need to, you need to know the truth. Like, I know, you know, a lot of truth about me, but this is something new and different to you. And I'm calling you into a season. I'm calling you and your husband into a season, um, that is going to be difficult and fighting against me. And kind of, I don't think I was rebelling. I just had my heart full of doubt and everything. And because I had never gone through something like this, my unfortunate immediate reaction was just to kind of close God off um, Mm -hmm. without even being like, I'm angry at you. I don't want to talk to you. It wasn't necessarily out of disbelief anymore. It was just 
frustration. And I was just like you said, like, why did you let this happen to me? Um, but in my head, I used every excuse, like, oh, that one time I said something really nasty to my friend, or I thought a really, um, like I had, um, sexually immoral thoughts in my head. And I, um, definitely, I share a lot about, um, my addiction to pornography that I struggled with, um, for a few years and Jesus saved me, um, from that addiction. And I'm like super open about that. I love having that conversation because again, it's like, not something Christian women talk about, um, but they struggle with it behind closed doors. 100%. So yeah. Um, I thought I was like, maybe this is, even though I feel forgiven, maybe this is my punishment for all those years of, um, giving into the desires of my flesh. Um, and eventually, like I said, he sat me down and was like, this isn't, this isn't who, you know, um, this is what am I trying to say? this is not the God you serve and the God that loves you. Like he doesn't do that. He will never, like you said, punish you. Like there are things that he will allow to pass and he can take away and he can birth anything from a single breath. But given all the circumstances and all the situations that I have at least been in, God makes the most beautiful masterpieces out of our messes. And there hasn't been a single time in my life where there has been a mess so big that I wish it just didn't happen because I saw God work through it and work through me and use me in ways that I just, I never thought I was capable of. And, um, it, those parts, those like huge messes became, um, those dumpster fires of messes became a huge part of my testimony. Um, and unfortunately it's never like, I would never say, I'm really glad this like trauma happened to you because obviously God's going to make it better. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, that was easy to get through and whatever, like that's <laughs> never what we're saying, that's right. never what we're saying, but there's definitely, and there's a few questions um, related to this, but there's definitely some hope to hold on to, um, when we're right in the thick of going through trauma or like a really icky season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know like going along with that, I know in my experience of going through painful seasons, I've had to keep up with my, or, um, I find it hard to keep up with my faith and belief that God cared for me. And like, we're literally like, it's in the same, um, same conversation we've been having or the same topic we've been having talking about, um, when we only see the surrounding darkness, like in the physical world. So like when we only see the negative pregnancy tests, when we only see, um, the person who hurt us, if they're in our lives, if it's someone we know, um, if we only, you know, if we're just, if we're just going in the thick of it and we're right in the middle of the storm, it can be hard to keep our eyes on Jesus because our, our vision is cloudy. We're, um, overwhelmed by like physical, emotional pain, like where our back hurts and our stomach hurts and our heart is going really fast. Like that's really hard to just ignore and be like, yep, I'm fine. God's got it. I'm just going to act like that's not happening to me. Um, we like, especially, like I said, we're overwhelmed by, um, powerful emotions. If we've ever experienced trauma in the past or are currently going through it, why do you think it's so easy to lean away from God rather than into him and seek comfort from him when theoretically most of us know the truth about his goodness and his faithfulness? Wow. That's such a good question. I think so many people have performance tied to their version of God. Mm-hmm. Like if I read my Bible enough, I'm a good Christian. If I pray enough, I'm a good Christian. And when we are so overcome with emotion and pain, it's like, I don't want to read my Bible. 
Yeah. I don't want to pray. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around people. I, we feel I like it's wanna, not working. I just want to sit in my pain because I am yeah. literally, I remember my, uh, my dad has cancer. And when we found out that he had cancer, I could not function. I could not pray. I could not go to yeah. church. Like I could do nothing except for lay in bed with shooting pain in my back. Like exactly what you said. Like when your mm. emotional pain is manifesting through your physical body and I said, God, I have nothing for you. Like, and we think we're, our God is so tied to our performance that we think if we can't do anything for him, that he doesn't want to sit in it with us. Mm. And that's not true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was um, talking with a woman recently and um, she had told me how she'd been raped and like brutally, like just like physical body. He had mutilated her during her rape, just crazy story. And she told me, uh, Katie, for a year, all I could do was get out of bed, crawl on the floor, sit on the floor and cry and listen to soaking music. And that was me being with Jesus. Mm. She said, I couldn't pray. I couldn't do anything. She said, I got down to 90 pounds. Like I couldn't perform at all. And yet every morning Jesus came and he met me there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we can learn to just sit with Jesus whatever that looks like, like for some people, maybe that's listening to soaking music, or maybe that's being walked through an encounter. Um, for me, when I first learned about encounters, and um, I'd never heard that word before. Yeah. And when I first heard the word encounter, I was like, okay, what, what does that mean? You know, and people would be like, oh, I see Jesus. I'm like, well, I've never physically seen Jesus. So I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't understand this. But somebody walked me through something one time where they said, just imagine Jesus in your head. Like your imagination is sanctified because mm -hmm. your whole body was sanctified. It's not just your words that are sanctified. Like your body was sanctified by the blood of the lamb. And actually the Lord made your imagination, not Satan. So if we don't think that we can use our imagination to partner with God, you know, that's how people have visions. That's how they see, see things mm -hmm. or have dreams, right? That's all, that's all connected to the imagination. And she said, imagine that Jesus is sitting on a bench, wherever that bench is for you. For me, that bench was in Bali, my favorite place. I love it. And it was like, <laughs> imagine Jesus is sitting on that bench 24-7. And any time that you want, you can go sit down on that bench with him. You can talk to him, but you don't have to talk to him. You can read the Bible with him, but you don't have to read the Bible. You can literally just go sit on the bench. And it reminds me of the movie Forrest Gump, where they're not talking, but they're yeah. just sitting. You know what I mean? And it's like, you can literally just go sit with Jesus on your bench and you don't have to say anything mm -hmm. and just focus on him and be like, Jesus, I'm here. This is all I have, but I'm here. Yeah. And like, he will meet you there. It does not have to be like reading your Bible and, and singing worship. And you don't have to be performing to have intimacy with God. And that's where I think people like shy away is they think that they have to perform and they don't have the energy to perform. Mm-hmm. I think you just gave like a huge population of women permission to show up. And just like you said, meet Jesus exactly where they are, exactly the season they're in. Because I think, I don't think I know because I've had questions like this on TikTok, on Instagram of women asking me how they are able or how, yeah, how can they open up to Jesus when they are in such a broken place 
when they feel like their husbands, their family, their friends, like they can't help them and they don't even want to be bothered with what's going on in their life. How can, like I said before, the King of Kings or the son of the King want to deal with us. And that mindset stops us from going to him and learning about how compassionate and friendly and caring he is. And like I said, when I went through that breakup that, um, like when I got out of that toxic relationship, I met Jesus with tears in my eyes, mascara running down my face, definitely snot somewhere along the way. Like (laughs) I just was in a very like ugly place. Um, and before I knew that that was my version of just showing up where I was like before I knew that those like faithful languages, the, the things that the phrases that we say, um, about our, our encounters with Jesus. Um, that's, I didn't realize until later on that that was him. That was his way of meeting me exactly where I was, mm-hmm. even though I was definitely holding on to that. Like I was saved, but I didn't know a lot about faith. I didn't know a lot about God or Jesus. So I was still holding on to those beliefs that I had to be in my Bible every single day. And I had to pray a certain way. Like I had to address him a certain way. Um, the inflection of my voice had to sound a certain way for him to like, hear me. I don't know. It was just, my phone needed to be on airplane mode. I don't know. It just needed to be like done a certain way, like a template or a blueprint. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is not the way he works. And I, there's a lot of there's so much, um, grace to be learned and to be had when we just, like you said, I love that imagery of just her sitting there and just being with Jesus. And I, I imagine him being there with her and because he is, and that like, that's the way he works and he wants to be close to us. And when we draw near to him, he draws near to us, no matter where we are, what, what we look like, what we're wearing, like that, that's just the truth about him. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That was good. Um, for those who have gone through something, um, that just hasn't been easy to overcome. What, what do we do? Like, how do we begin to start to heal from our wounds? And like you said, build that bridge to freedom in Christ. Um, I feel like we, when we go through something, it's, it's trauma, no matter what big or small, um, it's still, it still hurts us. It still cuts deep, no matter what it is. Um, how do we know, like when we're ready to like take those steps into healing and what do those steps kind of look like? I mean, I know it's going to be different for everybody, but, um, I guess what encouragement can you give somebody who just really needs to like pick themselves up? Mm -hmm. When, uh, when I was first writing my first keynote, I created this thing called like the act method, like ACT Mm -hmm. and it's acknowledge your pain, commit to healing, and then tell your story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the first step to dealing with any pain is you have to acknowledge that it exists. Like if we can't take ownership of our pain, we cannot process it. You know what I mean? As long as we're like, Oh, it's not really hurting me. That, that won't work. That will not (laughs) allow you because you will be like subconsciously not allowing yourself to deal with it because you're like, Oh, it's not a big deal. No, (laughs) it is a big deal. Acknowledge that it's a big deal because then you give yourself permission to explore it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then you have to commit to healing because healing is going to get messy and it's going to be painful. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to, you know, dip my toe in and see if it's comfortable. Let me tell you, it's not going to be. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. going to be super painful and it's going to be time consuming. And for me, when after I had done all this travel, I'd been to 50 countries, I'd done all these things, lived all over the world. 
And I came back and the Lord told me, I don't want you to travel anymore. Mm. And I said, um, excuse me, sir, uh, traveling is my identity. So that's not going to work for me. You know what yeah. I mean? And he said, mm-hmm. he said, I don't want you to travel anymore. And it just, it crushed me. It broke my heart. And I didn't at the time, I didn't know why he was saying that. I'm like, why would you take away? You're the one who put this passion in my heart. Why would you take away the one thing that I love the most? Obviously that saying it that way makes it very clear it was an idol, but yeah. Um, but at that time I didn't see it that way. You know what I mean? Um, but really I think the reason that one of the reasons that he told me that and he kind of put me through this season is as long as I was traveling, I was too busy to process my pain. Mm-hmm. You cannot process your pain when you're backpacking. You can't process your pain when you're with people all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because processing pain requires time. It requires solitude. It requires quiet. And maybe, you know, maybe you're not a single woman in her thirties who can just do that. Maybe you have a kid, you know, a bunch of kids and a family, but even carving out like, okay, you know, I'm taking the kid to soccer practice and I have 30 minutes in the car by myself and use that as your solo processing time. Like, you know, you have to work with what you got, but realizing that when you commit to healing that it's going to be emotional mm-hmm. and and for me it's so exhausting like crying makes you tired and dealing with your emotions can make you tired you yeah. know what i mean and we're like oh i'm already tired i don't want to deal with that what if we can just realize that like if we're willing to deal with the emotions that are weighing us down we're actually going to be set free and have more energy and then the third piece of that is telling your story because Telling your story is such a form of healing. Not only is it actually breaking chains off you, because as you bring what's in the darkness into the light, it breaks Satan's power over you, it breaks the hold. But also when you tell your story, you are giving other people permission, one, to tell their stories, because when they're hearing your story, they're not really listening to your story, right? They're saying, how does your story and your process relate to my story and how I can process. You know what I mean? They're not actually memorizing your story. They're processing their own. So when you're talking about your story, you're giving people the opportunity to kind of be like, oh, I kind of went through something like that. Or, oh, if she can talk about that on a stage, maybe I can tell my friend. You know, it baby steps, right? They don't have to be, well, then I can be on a stage too. Although they can do that. Maybe Mm -hmm. for them, it's, okay, she told this in front of a thousand people. Maybe I can tell two people. And if it went from zero people to two people, that's a win. You know what I mean? And it it gives people permission, but it also gives them a roadmap. And that's what I talk about, like your journey to healing, like get crossing that bridge into freedom is when you hear somebody tell the story of how they overcame trauma, it is a bridge. It is a roadmap to freedom, even if your story is not the same. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I was in therapy for um, four years, my long stretch recovering from a toxic breakup and everything that came into that and went into that. And then I was also in therapy for um, partly to work through the uh, realization that I was struggling with PCOS and we were about to go on this journey of infertility and everything, but I'm a huge proponent of therapy. And I, I totally understand what you mean by it's messy and it's hard. Um, and it's long, like it wasn't just, I didn't, I mean, I loved being in therapy because I, I felt the benefits of it, but four years and I still 
had a really hard time incorporating the experiences I had in that relationship into my book, my first book, which is just all my testimony of how like good God has been and how faithful he's been. Mm-hmm. And so four plus years of, well, I would say like almost five, because there was a year I didn't acknowledge that, like you said, acknowledge the fact that I needed to heal. It's just, you know, everybody gets over a breakup. Everybody goes through breakups. It's whatever. But when you deal with like with manipulation and and like emotional trauma, when it comes to those kind of things like that, that's really hard. And it really sinks its claws into you. Mm -hmm. And it affected everything from my relationships to my friendships, even to like my relationships with my family. And especially affected my relationship, um, like to myself, like how much I cared about myself. And then eventually when I was saved, um, I didn't, I believed false things about God. Mm-hmm. because of my unhealed trauma. And yep. so it, no matter what your trauma is, it just spills out into everything, exactly. no matter, no matter how you've, um, how you think you've dealt with it. I mean, we've all have those fixes for yeah. me. It was tender and ice cream. Um, that was my breakup fix. for a long time. <laughs> and, and that only made me fat and even more brokenhearted. So yeah. Um, that was like really unhelpful. Um, and I probably could have avoided that had I been in therapy sooner, (laughs) but, um, yeah, just, I really like the ACT. That's a really easy way to put it. And, um, it's like tangible and digestible when you think about it like that, like for you, for you, your big moment was getting up on that stage and you're right. I totally, totally relate to hearing other people's stories and being like, I can probably at least write it down in my diary (laughs) or at least go tell my best friend or my mom or whatever. Um, like I said, when I, I dealt with, um, an addiction to pornography for about seven or eight years, it was introduced to me as a kid. Like it usually is, um, kids normally find their way to it. And then it develops into something more, um, like deep and sinister sometimes. And, I remember I was on TikTok of all places and this girl, a big part of her ministry is sharing, um, her, like how Jesus were, got her out of that lifestyle. And I was like, I don't know if I realized that I could go to God about this thing, like this thing yeah. I've been going through. And I don't really think I put it in the category of sexual sin because I'm not cheating on anybody. I'm not really even hurting anybody. Like, it's just something like I do like on the side at night, like whatever it is, like whatever mm-hmm. your, your experience is with it, but you're not like hurting anybody. Right. Um, so I, I eventually learned from other people and seeing their, um, their bravery, I guess, talking about it openly. And like I said, it's definitely something women don't talk about, especially in the church, (laughs) especially when you're a Christian, it's like unheard of, um, to ever talk about struggling with it. And if you did struggle with it, it was like way before you were saved. And it definitely wasn't, you know, you knew better when you were (laughs) saved and everything like that. So untrue. Yeah. Like, you're still very much dealing with the same things. Um, yesterday, if you got saved today, like those are still very relevant things that you need to work through. And you just have this like amazing helper called the Holy spirit now on your side. So, (laughs) so yeah, I, I love that. Um, that chain reaction of being able to like, listen to other people and then acknowledge your own, your own trauma. And then, then you get to turn around and help somebody by sharing your story that I love that. It, it's a really beautiful thing. Um, if we feel like we've been followed by our past traumas, like I kind of said, like if we, if we're saved 
And we think that life is just going to be grand and everything's perfect and everything that was gray is now colorful. If our past traumas follow us into the future, into our present, um, even if we're actively seeking healing and we're actively in the word of God, how do we hold on to hope that God is on our side and that he is healing us and that he is caring for us? That's also a really good question. I think one thing that's really, I heard this analogy recently and it was such a game changer for me of when we're facing things that we're like, okay, Lord, I thought I overcame this. Why am I still battling this? You know what I mean? Um, I, after I was raped, I spent about a year and a half doing um, Molly or MDMA ecstasy, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and just partying really hard because it was that, you know, false yeah. sense of joy that I didn't have to face my own internal problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then even after I stopped doing that, a year later, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm not in that anymore. And then I'd be around certain people and I would do it again. And I'm like, what mm-hmm. the heck? I thought I was over this. You know what I mean? I haven't done that in a year. What the heck? Yeah. Why am I still here? You know what I mean? And I heard an analogy recently where she said, um, the chains around us, like picture like a giant chain that's wrapped around your entire body head to toe. And Jesus, when you get saved, is on one end and he's pulling that chain, right? So as he pulls that chain, you start to unravel. Those mm. chains around you start to loosen. However, it's still like a clock, right? You go 12, 3, 6, 9, and then what happens? You're back at 12 again. Now, does being back at 12 mean you didn't move? No, it doesn't mean you didn't move. It means you are one chain freer than you were the last time that you saw 12. You know what I mean? And so when we get hit with these temptations again, or we find ourselves back in that same circumstance, it's not that we're not going to see it again. We're probably going to come across that same situation again, or multiple times probably, but the first time maybe there were 25 loops of chain around you and you were completely bound and you weren't free at all. So you fell into it. Yeah. And then the next time, maybe you had 22 loops around you. So you were a little bit freer, but you were still pretty bound and you fell into it. But like, as you go down the road and as time goes on, as you're sanctified and as you spend time with Jesus and as he shows you, Hey, you're bound here. Hey, you're bound here. You're bound here. And you get to acknowledge it rebuke it, repent for it and become free of it. You know, you're going to have less and less of that chain around you. So when you hit it again, when that person or that experience or whatever it is shows up at your front door again, instead of having 25 chains, you now have two. You're like, you know what? I know that I still struggle with temptation, but now I'm stronger and I'm freer and that's not going to haunt me anymore. And I can say no now, you know, so realizing that it it is going to come back. Satan is always going to tempt us. Like, it's not like you become a Christian and all of a sudden your temptations go away. You become a Christian and life gets harder. Like, I think that's a huge misconception with new Christians, especially with baby Christians. You know, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I got saved. Life's going to get easier. No, babe, you got (laughs) saved. Life is going to get harder because Satan doesn't come after people who aren't threats to him. You know what I mean? It's just that now you're stronger and now you're freer. And now you know who you're partnering with. Now you're partnering with the King of Kings. You're thinking, speaking, and acting. You're becoming sanctified over time with his kingdom instead of thinking, speaking, and acting with the kingdom that bound you. Yeah. I love what you said about baby Christians. I, I talk about that sometimes in my um, my Facebook group when 
there's new Christians and they don't understand either. They haven't read that. I forget what book it's in, but it's under like trials and temptations and how trials, um, birth, like perseverance. Perseverance. And you're right. That's exactly what happens is that we have trials and when we, maybe we triumph over one trial and it's the same thing. So like, maybe we triumph over one circumstance, but then it happens again and we fail that time. And then we feel, you know, we have those emotions of like guilt and shame, even though like, that's not of the Lord. Maybe we're just putting that on ourselves. It's like, crap, I really messed up again. I don't know why, like you said, last year I was fine this year. I'm not fine. The next year I'm fine. Like whatever it is, um, that that's still engraving the one, the fact that Jesus will forgive, like God forgives and Jesus gives mercy and grace, even though you're failing or you feel like you're failing. Um, but we don't really know the healing that's going on underneath all of that, like underneath all this pressure we're putting on ourselves or like baby Christians are putting on themselves to be perfect. Um, we still, we still don't know like the, the final outcome of what all of this is leading up to all these trials. And, and I know that like for us, that's what we hold on to during like this journey of infertility, like every negative pregnancy test, all the um, empty ovulation strips, like all these ridiculous things and like the lab results and like that I hate getting my blood work done, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just like probably the hardest part of it. Um, but, um, it's just realizing that every single trial, um, eventually leads to God's glory and bringing the kingdom to more completion because we're learning how to be better, better versions of ourselves, meaning better images of him. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love that imagery of the chain. Like that makes so much sense. And I can totally identify that and like see in my mind times where that has happened to me. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I know. It's such a life-changing analogy when I heard that. It is. Like, oh my gosh. I it is. That was so good. That. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Um, so I know we talked about, you know, how different ways that you've been, um, that God's allowed you to find freedom through your trauma. Um, but how else has God given you freedom from everything that's happened? And what did that journey of healing look for you look like for you? So we know that healing isn't linear. It's like up and down loop de loop zigzag, every place in between. Um, but kind of what was your journey like, um, from the, I guess from the beginning and there was no, I feel like there's never really an end to our, like to our healing. Like we're always finding new ways to cope and, and new ways to love ourselves and new ways to accept love from others. And, um, just kind of, what was that like for you? If you like took a six, no, not even a six-year-old, like a two-year-old and gave them a crayon and a white piece of paper (laughs) and had them draw that's what my healing looks like. <laughs> it's like this chaotic mess that makes me, yeah. I thought I was going straight, but actually I'm going backwards. Yeah. Um, that's been, that's been my healing journey. And it went from emotional to physical to psychological and then back to emotional. And, and I say that because I came down with this really intense chronic illness last year that I'm still coming out of. And for the longest time, we just thought I was sick, but nobody knew why or how, and no doctor had a, had a name for it. And nobody understood like why I had to pick up my limbs to get out of bed. Like, why do I have to pick up my arm? Why can't I just lift my arm? Like my other hand was picking it up to move it. It was so crazy. And I was like, okay, something's wrong. And I heard my body say to me, we are fighting. We're fighting for your life. 
Mm-hmm. And I was so weirded out by that because I was like, your body can't talk to you. Why is my, like, what? You know, how is that even possible? But I literally, hallucinating? literally, that's what I was yeah. thinking. I was like, this is so strange. But I, I heard that and I went to the doctor because normally I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to go to the doctor, you know? And my parents were like, Katie, it's COVID, blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to go to the doctor. You probably have COVID, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You can't get out of bed for weeks. And I was, you know, after all these COVID tests, I'm like, you guys, I don't have COVID, but I don't know what it is. But my body is telling me we're fighting. And the doctor's like, we don't know what's wrong with you. Every test comes back fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and all that to say, now here I am uh, 13 months later and really learning that actually the hypothyroidism and the adrenal fatigue and all of this are stemming from childhood pain that I didn't process and has now manifested physically in my body. That's and it's just, so it's like, we think it's like, Oh, I just had this emotion. No, actually you spent the first 30 years of your life suppressing your emotions and not dealing with your emotions, which actually has a physical and psychological effect on your body. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so learning that just like, I thought it was this simple thing and then I got sick and I thought they were unrelated. Yeah. Realizing, no, actually to heal your physical ailments, I can go to the doctors and get prescription medicine, but I'm all for holistic medicine. I'm like, let's get to the root of this. Quit giving me yeah. band-aids. You know, yeah. I went to one doctor, they couldn't figure it out. And I told my parents, I was like, okay, I did my due diligence of going to the MD doctor. Can I go back to my holistic route now? You know what I mean? And I'm 32 years old. I don't need my parents telling me what to do, but I did it for their peace of mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. will you stop bothering me now? Yeah. Uh, and, and the holistic doctors were like, okay, well, let's start looking at your emotional health. You know, let's start looking at your mental health and, and, and how that's causing this physical stuff. So really that has, even after like the rape, I, I had processed all that. And I was like, I'm good. I processed my trauma. Like, I'm, I'm speaking on stages and going, you know, speaking at conferences and, and I'm good. And then I had this thing just this summer where literally somebody said, Oh, this man is safe. And I started sobbing and I was like, okay, apparently I'm not good. I -hmm. guess there's another layer to this that I had not dealt with yet. You know what I mean? And just realizing that like, it is a two-year-old scribble, like it's up, it's down, it's across, it's backwards. It's, and just each time we get to a new layer being like, okay, God, there's a new layer. Like I invite you in, you know what I mean? Cause he's like, just yeah. cause you invited me in last time. Again, I'm a gentleman just cause I've been to your house before. Doesn't mean I'm going to come barging in the next time. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to knock on the door every time, you know? Yeah. And so I think really just making sure that we, that we invite him into each, each place and each piece. And for me, journaling is just, mm-hmm my way of processing you know what I mean like I hear God through journaling sometimes I just feel like I he just writes through my hand like I'll go back and read and be like that was not (laughs) like I would have never said that and sometimes when I'm writing he addresses me by name and in my journal it'll literally say like my Katie and Mm -hmm. so I know that that's the Lord speaking through me and not just me writing down but I do both and one of the things that um has really been a game changer for me I met um, or she's a girlfriend of mine. She said, Oh yeah. When the Lord talks to me, I write in red. Mm-hmm. And I said, you write in red for me. When I first started hearing the Holy spirit, my handwriting would change, mm-hmm. but he was teaching me how to recognize his voice versus my voice. 
when I would write and it was his voice, the handwriting was completely different. It was the strangest thing. And I was like, what the heck, you know, what is happening? Yeah. And then I heard my friend say, oh yeah, I, uh, I was telling her about it. I thought, isn't this weird? You know, my handwriting just changes and I don't really know why. And she said, yeah, well, um, when I hear the Holy Spirit, I change to a red pen. So that way, when I go back and I read my journals, yeah. I can see what was my writing and what was his writing. And so now my handwriting doesn't have to change because I can tell when it's my voice versus when it's his voice, because I've learned to hear his voice. And so I don't just like sit and stare off into space and be like, okay, God, talk to me. You know, I mean, he can talk to us that way, but for me, I know, you know, my number. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah. I feel like for me, he talks more so when I'm writing. So like I'll write and then I'll be like, okay, Lord, um, I'm switching pens. It's your turn. Pen is yours. And whatever comes into my head after I say that, and I switch pens, assuming that it's lining up with God's word, right. Assuming that it's lining up with his character. I'm assuming that that's now his voice mm. and, um, and just processing with him, you know? Yeah. Write out everything in my head. And when my head's empty, I've written out everything I have to say. Like, like, Lord, what do you have to say about this? That is so good. I too. So two things, one going back to what you said a little bit before about the house, like letting, like letting him in, like he'll knock and you can let him in. It's that's really good imagery because it's like letting him in, isn't letting him in is not a one-time deal. We let him, it's like when you, all the doors in your house are locked and letting him through the front door is just the first step in your healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to go to the bedroom and he's going to ask you to let him in and uncover what trauma and what healing needs to be done in that room. And then once you're done, that door stays open or whatever, maybe it closes again. Um, but then you move on to a different room and then mm-hmm. he heals that aspect. Just like you said, there's like layers of it. And when you said, when you gave the house analogy, like I, that's what I imagined is it's not just letting him through the front door. It's letting him through every single locked door that mm-hmm. you've like slammed shut, bolted, put concrete over, you know? I love that. Yes. And I am also a huge, huge journaler. I've, I have like my entire top part of my closet is just full of like bins from like childhood journals all the way um, through high school and middle school or middle school, high school. And it's so nice to go back and um, I like to go back through the journals and actually see like my old prayers and see where God um, like answered my prayers and came through for me and everything. But um, I love how you, you definitely know the difference between like you and him based on how well you know him and how he's like revealed himself to you. Like, that's amazing. Um, for me recently, he, he'll put on um, like uh, images of scripture, like in my head, like recently I had Romans eight eighteen, just in like big, bold, like bubble letters and words, I guess, um, and bubble words. And I had never read Romans eight before. And so at first I was like, I probably, that was probably right. I was doing the dishes and I was like, that was probably just something really random that like popped in my head. It probably just came up like randomly, mm-hmm. but just something told me that I need to like actually go and sit down and check the validity of it. Because if it was true and that was really God, like now I know that that's a way that he um, communicates with me is that he just puts like images in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down and I went to Romans eight eighteen, and it says nothing compare, no suffering compares to the joy that I have for you in the future. 
And like five minutes before I started doing the dishes, I just closed a prayer about our infertility journey and about how I'm choosing to trust him through it, even though this is really freaking hard. Mm -hmm. And I feel like nobody this young or really anybody needs to be like, should deal with infertility. Like it's really, it's really hard, but we figured it out at a pretty young age. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like we're only 25 and, and going through this and we were really excited to start our family. And so I was just laying it all out there, but I was like, I'm choosing you over everything that is in my face right now. Like I'm choosing joy and love and your mercy and your grace over everything. And so I was like, how weird would it be if the scripture that he just put in my head actually related to the prayer I just got up and, or I just finished and everything. And it did. And, um, I love that. And I think being like really open to different ways he can communicate with us is because I was very, very closed off to things like that. I was like, no, it's demonic. Like he would never do that. <laughs> if it was God, he, I would just like hear him on like, yeah. in the clouds. Like, <laughs> like he's more powerful than that. But no, he, he, um, is very unique and specific about how he talks to every person. Like for you, like he obviously knows you love to journal. And so that's how he communicates with you. And for me, I mean, I definitely don't love doing the dishes, but that's when he chose to speak to me at that moment. But, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I love that. That's so good. And I'm, I love that. That's a huge part of your healing journey and something that isn't like, it's attainable to you. Like you can sit down and journal whenever, and you'll, you'll know that there is you know, it's not going to heal the whole, the whole thing, but there's some piece that you're going to get from it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really powerful. Um, so what final encouragement do you have for someone listening who just feels, um, like utterly lost and alone, um, when it comes to healing her own trauma, or maybe she hasn't even started to think about how she's going to talk to somebody about her trauma, let alone like a stranger, like a therapist or something like that. Um, what words of wisdom can you give her? I think, you know, like I said before, I think it's first before you do anything, like you have to invite him into it because he's not going to overstep boundaries, you know? So if you haven't done that already, like that's number one, invite him in, you know, Lord, I'm in pain or I don't know what to do with this. I don't even have words for it, but I invite you into it. Like it can literally be that simple, you know? And then secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he wants you to do first. Because like, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. So that's how trauma is, right? It's giant and it's scary. It's kind of like a big black hole that we're worried if we fall into, we'll never get out of, you know? And so that's, I feel like a lot of the reason we don't venture into the pain is because it literally feels like a black hole you're like well if I go digging that up all the pain's going to come back I'm going to be depressed I'm not going to know how to get out of it or what to do with it and it's just this this big black hole right Mm -hmm. so I think asking Holy Spirit like Holy Spirit what do you want me to do first and just ask for one thing and for me after um I was raped in 2013 and it was in 2018 that I started to process it. Mm -hmm. And when I asked Holy Spirit, I don't think I even said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do first? I think I just learned that from what happened um, in my experience. But I was listening to a sermon on forgiveness and he said, if you don't forgive the people who hurt you, you'll bleed on people who never cut you. Mm. And that was just mind blowing to me. And the Holy Spirit whispered, 
when right after I heard that, he said, you need to forgive your rapist. And for me, that was step one. Mm. Before I ever spoke about it, told anybody, journaled it, anything, did any processing or any healing, the Lord said, you have to forgive him. And I think people get confused about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not condoning offense. And forgiveness is not calling them up on the phone and being like, I forgive you. And forgiveness, yeah. And forgiveness is not saying that what you did was okay or that I feel happy to be around you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying the Lord forgave me all the awful things that I've done. So out of carrying his love, I'm going to choose to give what I was given and give that forgiveness away to somebody else. Mm for whatever they've done, whether I feel it or not, it's forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. And I think people confuse that. Well, I don't feel, you don't have to feel it's not, that's not what this is. You know what I mean? And it's only the goodness of God that after we decide to forgive, then the feelings come. Mm -hmm. Then we, you know, and it, it may never be that like, I never spoke to him again. You know, it may never be that we ever want to have a relate because I knew the person and that we want to have a relationship with them. You, you can forgive them and not tell them that they've been forgiven. You know what I mean? And to be honest, unless you're trying to create a relationship or, you know, rebuild that relationship, or if they've asked for your forgiveness, then you want to give them, you know, that, okay, I forgive you. Personally, I would not randomly go up to somebody that I was harboring something against and be like, I forgive you. Cause then they'd be like, forgive me for what? You Mm, know what I mean? Half the time they don't even know what they did. Right. Um, Forgiveness is a heart thing. It's not an interpersonal thing, you know, it can be, but generally it starts as a heart thing, right? That's how bitterness creeps in. Yeah. That's so good. I, I read, um, Lisa Turker's forgiving what you can't forget. And Mm -hmm. that is, that was kind of my introductory, my introduction to forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Right. And I also carried that idea that, well, I hear God clearly calling me into forgiveness, but I thought I hear, like, I hear you. I understand that, but I'm not ready to have a relationship with them. And so I went years and racked up a list of people that God had called me to forgive, but I completely wow. avoided it because I was waiting for that feeling and that emotion inside of me that told me, um, yeah, I'm ready to re- reconcile our relationship and that means I'm ready to forgive. And so I went all those years holding on to bitterness and resentment and hate and loathing and, you know, pain, all of it bundled together um, because I had a huge misconception of what forgiveness was. Mm-hmm. And that book that I read um, that, I mean, like I said, God had always been teaching me in small ways. I just like, wasn't listening about what forgiveness was. And I'd read about it in the Bible and like what Jesus teaches about forgiveness, but I just, Um, it still was not laid out black and white for me. I, like I said, I still was completely convinced that forgiveness meant that I had to go and talk to them again. It Mm -hmm. meant that I had to sit down and have a conversation about like hash out everything that happened. Um, and be like, okay, you want to go get coffee tomorrow? Like we're good. Everything's cool. And then I also carried that same misconception that forgiveness meant I'm giving you a pass of what you did and you don't have to repent. You don't have to apologize. I'm just like, you're good. Um, I'm good. I'm no longer hurt. Um, 
whatever. And I, I mean, that's how the word forgiveness is used. Like you're forgiven. Um, and we usually like, when we say, sorry, it's always, it's usually to somebody's faith or like over text or whatever it is, but it normally is like a face-to-face encounter. And it's like, forgiveness has two completely realms and they're on two completely different planets, like two words, meaning two different things, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to the way God calls us into it. Um, so that's a really good, like last piece of advice about healing because it is kind of the first marker for healing. It's not, it's not the declaration that we're like all of a sudden heal. Like when we forgive we're healed and like, we're fine and we're ready to move on. It's just like the beginning of a much longer journey, but not forgiving is going to hold us back from everything that God is going to call us into and to teach us later about the trauma about ourselves and the trauma and like so much more. It's like we gain so much spiritual maturity because we've chosen to forgive. Yes. Um, and I love what you said about the fact that you don't have to walk up to somebody and forgive them because I feel like um I was today years old when I still thought that was true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you said that because I think like there definitely is a part of me that thinks I have to like reach out to somebody and say you're forgiven before God can like release me into the next part of my journey. Um, so I really appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to come on here and, you know, talk to us about trauma and healing and, um, putting God at the center of all that. And, um, I admire you and love to see everything that God has done for you. Um, how can we support you and find you on social media? Yes, I have a website, katiemaddox.com. My name is spelled K A T E as an elephant, Y as in yes. Um, and on Instagram at Katie Maddox. And I love to connect with people, um, through Instagram or whatever, you know, just to talk to people who are like-minded and especially other Christian women who are kind of, I feel like we are plowers, right? We are plowing the way for people to open up and to be in vulnerability and to talk about pornography in the church and to talk about rape and masturbation and all the things that, you know, I have struggled with that my friends have struggled with that no one ever brought up to us. Like, Hey, I know this happened or even, um, Sorry, I kind of got off topic, but like one thing that Mike, that Mike Todd talks about that I feel like is so, it's such a miss in the church, but that, that door is opening is like, okay, I had sex. Now what, you know what I mean? Like we can go back to purity culture in the, in the good sense of purity culture, not in the bad. I mean, purity culture has two sides, I think. Um, But like, um, for example, like I'm not married. And I went through a season of sleeping with lots of people. And I have a new purity ring on my finger. I had one as a teenager. And then for 10 years, I did whatever I wanted. And then when I was 32, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get another one. And I'm going to decide to be celibate until I'm married. And like, we can be holy and we can be redeemed from all the things that we've done and still have this beautiful marriage and have this beautiful life, you know, like. I feel like in the church, so many times they talk about like, this is what you did, but not like, okay, now what, what do we do with that? Now that we've done all those things, how do we proceed and how do we still, you know, move forward in that process of sanctification? So anyway, I just love talking to people about this topic and and getting to meet other women who are like, so on board with it. 
I would love to have a completely separate episode about purity and sex because I'm in the same boat where like, I didn't save myself for marriage because I didn't grow up as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, I didn't realize that you could re-save yourself for marriage. And so I mm-hmm. didn't, but like, luckily I met my husband when I did. So he like, <laughs> snatched me out of that, that, that life, um, <laughs> the hood rat life, but <laughs> 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 like totally my lifestyle back then. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that would be like the perfect episode on that. And, um, yeah, I would love to dive into that too. Cause you're right. Like it's just not talked about. And then there's like girls like me who go through their life, not realizing that you can, you know, restate like redemption is real mm-hmm. and you can literally start over when you're washed in the blood and, mm-hmm. you know, like Jesus will allow for that. <laughs> like he's, yeah. he's not the one saying you've already had sex. What's the difference? Like just keep doing it. It's society and the world that says that, but yeah. um, definitely off topic, but, <laughs> but now we know <laughs> what to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, next time. <laughs> So again, thank you so much. I so appreciate you and your time and your company. (laughs) You are so welcome. I had such a blast. Okay. Am I the only person who wants to be Katie's best friend? Oh my gosh. I absolutely loved our conversation today. And clearly we are going to have to have her back for a part two on purity and sex. I genuinely hope you loved this episode as much as I did. Before you go, I would really appreciate if you could do two things for me. One is to subscribe to the podcast and two is to leave an honest rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This lets me know that I'm doing a good job and it also lets other people know where to find my show. If you're interested in supporting the Candid Faith podcast, there is a link in the show notes called Buy Me a Coffee. This is a really easy way to support me and the show with a few extra dollars. Okay, guys, that's all I have for you this week, but I'll be back next week with a new guest. Bye for now.